Thank you, Jonathan. If you have your Bibles, please take them turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Generosity is a beautiful thing. I don't know if you watched any football yesterday, but I, I watched a little bit. I was actually at Bailey's band contest, and I was watching the A&M game on the CBS app. Now, I was not watching, okay, I wasn't watching the game while the band was performing, so let me just make that clear. She's not in here. I don't want word to get to her, so I wasn't doing that. But I, but I was kind of watching, and I, I saw the replay, and uh, uh, Tennessee fumbled, and A&M went in for a touchdown, and the Tennessee volunteers are so generous, were so generous to the Aggies yesterday. Uh, they kept giving us the ball over and over and over, and we were so generous, we kept not doing anything with it. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and so they kept trying to give the Aggies a game, and the Aggies kept trying to give it back. And uh, I think it was kind of like that in the TU-OU game as well. But it's just it's just kind of this give and take thing. One team wants to give it, and the other team doesn't, doesn't seem to want it, unless, of course, you're Alabama, and that's a different deal. But, but here's what I want to think about, you know, Forget the football, but I want us to think for a minute about giving and taking. Because one pastor, I think it was Rick Warren, who said, you know, there's only two kind of people in the world. There's those who are givers and, and those who are takers. And you can kind of look at our culture and you kind of look at our society and you kind of see that, that there's people who are givers and, and, and people who are takers. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, man, there's, there's givers and there's takers. And the question is, what are we? Uh, a couple years ago, or a few years ago, I read uh, about an article in the Chicago Tribune. It was written by Ann Keegan, but she did an article uh, called Blue Christmas. And in that article, she just uh, recorded a bunch of stories from policemen in the city of Chicago. And she tells one story about a guy named George White, uh, older guy, kind of a homeless, poor guy, had one set of clothes, uh, his shoes. He actually had rubber bands around his shoes so the soles wouldn't flap when he walked. He had a threadbare coat, and he, he went into the 18th district most mornings, and he would sit in the metal chair and the heater kind of the back of the, the, the precinct there, if you will. And, and two of the policemen, they just, you know, they kind of felt for the old guy, and so they started slipping him a few dollars here and there. And, and the more they learned about him, they found out that he would go over to a place called the GW Grill. There was a guy named Billy the Greek, and he would give him a hot breakfast almost every morning. And, and so... They just felt really bad for this guy. And so they decided, hey, we're going to invite George over for Christmas dinner. So they got their families together and they invited George over. And when he came, they had dinner together, you know, kind of before Christmas. And then they gave him some presents. And so he's sitting there at this dinner and this guy has nothing. And he begins to unwrap these gifts. And uh, and they're like, man, these are yours. And he was like, really? These are mine. And so they, you know, they leave, they're going back home, and he says, are these gifts really mine? Can I do whatever I want to do with them? They said, absolutely. He says, can you stop by the GW Grill? And so he begins to wrap these gifts back up. They stop by the grill, and he goes in, and there's Billy the Greek, the guy that had been giving him the free breakfast. And he says, Billy, you've been so good to me. Now I can be good to you. And he took the gift, and he gave it. In fact, as the story goes, he gave away all the presents that night in the GW Grill. Now, the question is, why would a guy with so little be generous enough to give away so much? Why would George do that? And here's the thing. 
when you've got a grateful heart, you have a generous heart. And when we look in the scriptures, that's what we see. Generosity really is a beautiful thing. And this morning we're going to talk about that because when we have a grateful heart, then we will have a generous heart. We're going to look at a text of Scripture, and, and let me just set it up by saying this. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, at least for the third time. There, you know, we have 1 Corinthians, we have 2 Corinthians. We, most scholars believe there was a letter in between. Uh, we don't really know what that is. But, but anyway, what had happened is the Corinthians had said to Paul, Hey, we know the church in Jerusalem is struggling. We know that you know, they're poor and that there's been a famine going on and they're really needy. And so about a year earlier, they said, hey, we're, we're committed to giving an offering to take to the Jerusalem church. And so Paul, in his boldness, says, hey, I'm over in Macedonia. These people here, they don't have anything. They are really poor. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then they gave, a, man, they gave more than they had to give. So, they, I mean, they gave a lot. And I know that you said you were going to give some money. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a couple guys ahead of my arrival just as a reminder that you made a commitment to give some money. And so what I, so I'm sending them to you so that you'll have the offering collected when I get there. That's pretty bold. Can you imagine if, you know, the church, you make a pledge and, and then next year I'll come and say, hey, just want to remind you what you said you were going to do. So Paul says, I'm not just going to remind you, I'm going to send some guys with you. And, 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 here's, and Paul said, here's the reason why. Because these guys in Macedonia that don't have anything, that gave so much, kind of like George, some of them are coming with me. And if we get to you and you don't have an offering, I'm going to be embarrassed. But worse than that, you'll kind of be ashamed. And so that's the backdrop. Now, in, in the context of that, we're going to pick up and read at what Paul said to them in 2 Corinthians 9. That's kind of the backstory. Let's pick up in verse 5. And so he's kind of talked about them not being humiliated. They want to make sure they have the offering. Verse 5, he says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also, or but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. Now, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. 
Let's pray. Father, would you take your word and, and just give us clarity on this matter of generosity. God, it really is a beautiful thing to be generous. And so, God, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts so that we will learn what we need to know uh, to bring glory to Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, generosity and giving uh, spring from, uh, they really do spring from a grateful heart and a generous heart. And Man, God had been good to old George, and so George wanted to bless Billy. Uh, and God's been good to us. In fact, uh, Paul ends by saying, thanks be to God for his inexpressible or indescribable gift to his Jesus. So God's been very good, and we demonstrate our gratefulness through our generosity. It was Winston Churchill, the World War II leader in England, the great leader who said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And so, so obviously, generosity is a biblical thing. It's something that God modeled for us. It's something that Jesus modeled for us. So, so as, as followers of Christ, how are we to give? How, what, what does that look like? Well, Paul, in his writing here, he give, if, if you notice as I was reading that, I know it's kind of a long text, but I want you to get the sense. He, he kept doing this comparing and contrasting. You know, it's almost like here's how you should give and here's how you should not give or here's how you should not give and, and here's how you should give. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at about five different contrasts in our text. And so as we look at that, as you think about giving, as I think about giving and we think about generosity, here's some, here's some thoughts. First of all, uh, when we give, we should give willingly, not grudgingly. Look down at verse 5. There, at the end of verse 5, he says, So that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. In fact, some translations actually use the word extortion. And what he's saying is that, that when we give, we should willingly give. It shouldn't have to be kind of exacted from us or extorted from us or, or, or squeezed away from us. Remember in, in Acts 20, verse 35, uh, Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus, and he, he said, remember what the Lord said? Talking about Jesus, he said, remember what the Lord said? It is, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, that's a biblical truth, but it seems like in our culture, we've kind of flipped that over, right? I mean, for, for many people in our culture, maybe even for some of us, and, and probably for all of us at least, sometimes, sometimes it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. I mean, if you're, a, if you're an Aggie today, you know it's more blessed to receive than it is to give. Because we, we had a gift, right? I mean, it was a gift. We didn't want it for a while, but it was a gift, right? Well, but, but our culture's like that. For, for many of us, we just, we just, we just want to take and, and we want to receive. And yet Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, hey, it's more blessed. To be a giver than it is to be a receiver. And, and so we should give willingly, not grudgingly. Anybody, anybody remember the movie Ghost? I mean, you young kids probably won't remember it. Okay, a few of us. Anybody remember Oda Mae Miller? She had, the four, she had the $4 million check and she didn't really want to give it. Well, check this out. This is, this is kind of what we're talking about here. I want to just show you this clip real quick. How you doing? Now endorse it, Miller. No. Make it out to St. Joseph's Shelf. I believe we're making two of us. Give it to her. Well, 
will. I just want to feel it one more time in my finger. That's all. Give the lady the chicken. I will. Hand her the chicken. You can do it. Give her the check. I will. Bless you, child. Bless you. he exacted the money from her, right? I mean, that's really, I mean, when the scripture says not reluctantly or under compulsion, that is an exaggeration of what it means to give under compulsion. But, but what God's saying to us is, this, that's not what I want you to be like. I want you to give willingly because I gave so willingly to you. So our giving, first of all, it should be willingly, not grudgingly. Secondly, look down in your Bibles there at verse 6. The writer, or Paul says there, he says, um, says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly or will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the word bountiful simply means generous. I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up. We talk about the, you know, the blessing or we talked about the bountiful blessings that we have. That's just simply that, that we're blessed generously. And so what God's saying is I want you to give generously, not sparingly. In fact, look, turn in your Bibles, turn over to 1 Timothy uh, just go to your right a couple books, First Timothy chapter 6. Listen to the uh, beginning of verse 17. As for the rich in this present age. Now, by the world standards, that's us, okay? Ninety-odd uh, percent of us, maybe all of us. But, but as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, look at this, and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. I mean, the Scripture is so clear, front, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, that, that God wants us to be generous. God will bless the generous. Uh, Proverbs 22.9 says, A generous man will himself be blessed. Psalm 112 says, good will come to him who is generous. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Um, I mean, think about that. I mean, what is it that we want to be remembered for? Calvin Coolidge, former president, said, no man is ever honored for what he received in life. He's only honored for what he gave. You know, no, nobody remembers a guy for how much he has. But we remember for what they gave. I mean, that's why the, the, the philanthropy, the world of philanthropy has kind of figured that out. When you go to, when you go on a college campus, what do you, what's unique about those buildings? Almost all of them are named after what? Somebody. Why, why are they named after somebody? Because they gave. Or you go to a museum and you, or you go to a hospital and they'll, you'll have this wing that's given. Why? Because even, even the world understands that nobody cares how much you have. You're remembered for how much you give. And biblically, man, if that's true in philanthropy, certainly that ought to be true when it comes to the gospel. Man, we, we need to understand this idea that a generous man is going to prosper. And if we refresh others, we're going to be refreshed. Why? Because when you sow, 
you're going to reap. When, when you give, when you're generous, you're going you're to get the fruit of that or the result of that. Now, there's a biblical principle called the principle of sowing and reaping. It's, it's a rule. I guess you could say it's a rule or it's a principle. It's almost like a law. You know, we've got the law of gravity. Some of you are wondering, am I ever going to fall off of here? Well, if, if, when I do, I won't say if, when I fall, what's going to happen? I'm going I'm I'm to fall down, not up, right? Why? Because there's a, there's a law of gravity that says, if, you know, that, that kind of sucks us to the center of the earth. And it's just kind of a rule of thumb. Uh, just like there's a law of ther- a couple laws of thermodynamics. Well, there's a law called sowing and reaping. And that law in God's economy is that when you sow here, you're going to reap somewhere down here. Now, you're going to reap, you're going to reap, you're always going to reap later than you sow. Uh, you're almost always going to reap greater than you sow. And, and you're always going to reap what you sow. It's just kind of, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. And so, um, I mean, that's just a rule. And, and I was thinking about this rule. i got a brother-in-law who lives in, in, uh, in South Central Nebraska, and so I called him. He grows a lot of corn, so I called him up this week. And I said, you know, I'm talking to, I actually, I texted him. I said, I'm talking about sowing and reaping. And so I just I said, how much corn do you plant on an acre in order to get 200 bushels? And he, so he sends me, this is how tech farming is. He says, we, put, we try to put 30,000 kernels or, or 30,000 seeds per acre. I said, okay. I said, so, you know, and, and so on average, they get about 200 bushels. Well, and then I text him back and said, you know, well, how much is in a bushel? And then I got online and got to look. Well, here's the thing. A bushel has about 90,000 kernels, give or take, you know, some. So, so if they plant 30,000 kernels on an acre of corn, they get, on an average, 200 bushels, which means they get these 30,000 seeds become 18 million seeds. So every one of those seeds, on average, produces about 600 seeds. Now, if, if we can invest... That's a great return, right, on your investment. Jesus talked about, you know, uh, the some seed fell on good soil and it returned 30-fold, 60-fold, and some even 100-fold. Well, man, they plant corn and they get 600-fold. Why? Why? Because there's this law that whatever you sow, down here you're going to reap. Now, what would happen if they just decided, you know, seed corn's expensive. I think this year we'll just go 15,000 seeds per acre. Well, what's going to happen? They're going to... The yield's going to go down. Why? Because there's this law that says whatever you reap, whatever you sow here, you're going to reap down here. Now, you say, well, why does that matter? Because what we do with what God's given to us, whether it's our money, whether it's our time, whether it's our giftedness, whatever we sow here, we're going to reap the benefit down here. Always later, almost always greater, and we're going to, whatever we plant is what? Is going to come up. And so the word says here, be generous, not sparing, because whatever you sow now, you're going to reap later. Then there's a third rule, not just willingly, but grudgingly, not just generously, but sparingly. But he says we should, we should, uh, we should give prayerfully, not haphazardly. Look back down there at verse seven. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart. To give. Did you know that you get to decide what to give? Nobody can. Now, I, I know you've listened to preachers. I know you've listened to us for a long time. But nobody can tell you what to give. 
but God. You, 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 Paul says, listen, you need to decide in your heart what to give. Now, now we believe, we believe that the wisest thing to do is, is to be a percentage giver, that you should give a percentage of your income. You know, I give a percentage of my, my income and, and, you know, in addition to some offerings. And, and, uh, typically we, we teach the tithe that, you know, a, a good thing to do is, is to tithe, which is to give 10%. And, and there's kind of a discussion in theological circles. Okay, does the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament talks about tithing and the New Testament talks about tithe. Does the New Testament really teach it? And, you know, is it like the Old Testament and all this? And some people say, well, in the Old Testament, if they tithe, by the time they gave all the offerings, they gave about 25 or 30%. And, you know, and on and on and on. And, and there's just this discussion, okay, does it teach tithing or, or does it, not. And, and I would just point to two things in the New Testament. Number one, Jesus, uh, talking to the Pharisees, uh, they were, uh, you know, they were just very legalistic, but they weren't very generous. And he said, because they would tithe their mint in their deal. In other words, their spices that they got, they would give a tithe on them. I mean, legalistic. Now, Jesus said, you know, you ought to be kind and generous and loving, but don't forget the tithing. So he didn't say not to tithe. Uh, and then we, if we, if we look at uh, Melchizedek and Abraham, even before the law, here's kind of the rule of thumb. And this is where I think tithing is kind of pictured in the, in the New Testament. Uh, before the law was instituted, before there was an Israel, before there was a Jewish nation, God called Abraham. Abraham went out in, into battle. He comes back and he meets the guy named Melchizedek. You remember from Hebrews, the king of Salem, the king of peace, the king of righteousness. Uh, Abraham meets this guy. This guy blesses him. And Hebrews talks about how the, the, the greater blesses the lesser. And, and because this guy blessed him, Abraham gave him a tenth of what he had. A tenth of the spoils. A tenth of the spoils. And so I, 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 here's what I would say. You've got to decide what you're going to give. But I believe scripturally, the tenth, the tithe, is a great place to start. You know, and I, I, you know, and I could I could give you some stories of how God's blessed me, and I'm sure those of you could. But you get to decide, and you've got to decide. But if God's been generous to you, and if God's been generous to me, then we need to be willing. Uh, to give and be generous to Him. So we should give prayerfully, not haphazardly, generously, not sparingly, willingly, not grudgingly. And then number four, we should give, we should give cheerfully, not reluctantly. Look down again at verse seven. At the end of verse seven, uh, for, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. John Rockefeller uh, says we ought to think of giving not as a duty, but as a privilege, um, we should be grateful to God that we have something to give, that he's blessed us so much. And, and so we ought to be able to, to give uh, cheerfully. And Rick Warren was right when he talked about their givers and their takers. But here's what he said. He said the happy people in life are the people that are generous with their lives. I mean, that's who the happiest people are. I mean, what did you, when Jesus said, if you want to find your life, what do you need to do with it? Anybody? What? In order to find it, you gotta what? You gotta lose it. Jesus says, he who, he, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so, uh, if, if we want to be happy and if we want to be contented and if we really want to find the life that's real life, then we've gotta be willing to be generous. 
And because if you're not, if we're not generous, then then it just kind of um, man, man, a lot of people that that are that are greedy and and, and just want to hold on. They're you know, they're kind of miserable. You've kind of been around them a little bit, and they're you know uh, that's not what we want to be. And by the way, you know what miserable starts with, right? Miser, you know miser. Miser able, you know. So what, here's what's going to happen. Listen, if if we're if we're unwilling, if we're so worried about holding on, then then we're going to worry and be miserable. And God says, and that's not what I want for you. God says, I love a cheerful giver. Remember the story of the little girl. Her mom says, going to try to help her learn a lesson. She says, sweetie, here's a dollar and here's a quarter. Now I want you to give an offering when you go to church today. And so they go to church, and the little girl goes to church, and she's sitting out there where you are. And they take up the offering, and she gives her offering. And she comes out after church, and her mom says, "Yeah, you know, I just kind of want to figure out what she did." She says, "Sweetheart, what what did you give today?" And the little girl says, "Well, well mom." You know, I was going to give the dollar, but the man up there at the pulpit said that God loves a cheerful giver. And I knew if I gave the quarter, I'd be a lot more cheerful. So I gave the quarter, right? Now, now we sometimes we're like that. You know, we, if, we, if we give less. But what God wants, He wants us to give with a cheerful heart. And He wants us to be willing to give. And, and so cheerfully... Uh, not reluctantly, prayerfully, not haphazardly, generously, not sparingly, willingly, not grudgingly. But then look at verse 8, and this is kind of interesting. Confidently, not fearfully. Look look down there at verse 8 with me for just a second. Notice what he says. And God is able to make all grace, that's just kind of blessing, make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency... In all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, do, do you get the sense that, that God, listen, we can be confident that God wants to provide everything we need. God wants to give us everything we need, all we need, all sufficiency, uh, at all times, for all occasions, God wants to provide that for us. And then he talks about the righteous man in verse 9. And then look at verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, who is that? Well, that's God. God's the one who provides the seed. Notice what it says. He will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And so here's what I want you to think about. The reason we need to be generous is is God wants to be generous to us. Listen, God says, "I I want you to open your life. I want you to open your treasures. I want you to open your calendar. I want you to take your gifts. I want you to take your life, every part of your life. And I want you to be generous with me and generous for me. And if you'll do that, God says, I'll make all grace abound to you. And so here's the thing. God wants to bless us. God wants to give to us, but, but here's the deal. Here's where me and Osteen and those guys get, here's where we run into trouble. Look at verse 11. It says, God will, uh, let me read it exactly to get this, but it says, you will be enriched in every way. Why? So you can be, have the greatest and the latest? So we can have the bestest and the mostest? Is that why God wants to bless us? No. No, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you... Uh, may be generous in every way. And so here's, and I wrote this down. God wants us to give to Him so God can give to us so we can give to Him so we can get the blessing from God. I mean, so that, that's just this kind of thing. God says, if you'll give to me, 
I'll give back to you so you can give more to me. And then what will happen? I will increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God says, if if you'll trust me and if you'll be generous for me, then I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something to give. And when you give that back, I'm going to give you something that's going to last forever. That's why uh, the writer in uh, Paul in 1 Timothy talked about laying up treasure for the future. That's why Jesus said, don't, don't put your treasure uh, in places where thieves break in and steal and kill and moths destroy and, and, and things rust. He said, no, no. Jesus said, store it for yourself treasures where? In heaven. Store it for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so God wants to be generous to us so we can be generous for the kingdom of God. And, and we're going to be blessed for that in, in the next life. Or we're going to be blessed for that. Forever, And so what God wants to do is to be generous to us to increase the harvest of our righteousness. Now, now when, when, we, when we do that, what happens? What happens when we begin to give? Let me give you four things real quickly right out of the text, or at least three of them right out of the text. Uh, first of all, look at verse 12. God supplies, God supplies the needs. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. When you and I give uh, to the kingdom work, we give through the local church, we give through mission causes, we give through ministry areas. What God does is God supplies the needs of the people. And, and sometimes God's very specific about what he wants us to give. Uh, a number of years ago, um, I, I was at another church. I, I got a gift kind of for an anniversary, and I got a, it was one of those... It was pretty early on when the cash cards first came out. You know, you just, you took that card and it was just like having cash. And I got just kind of enamored with this card. We had this young couple come to our church. They were about to go on the mission field. And, you know, and they shared their story. And in my heart, I'm thinking, you know, I need to give them some money. And the spirit was like, you need to give them that card. And I was like, I'll write them a check, but I want to keep that card because I was loving that card. And so I battled with this thing, you know, because I'm so spiritual, right? You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm greedy and I'm sinful and I'm selfish. And, and I was like, God, I'll write them a check. I just want the card. And God's like, no, I want them to have the card. You keep the check. And so God wins out, and so I give them the card, and here's what I found out. They were, you know, they were going to leave where we were, and they were going to drive across the country. They were going, I think they were going to Alaska. And they, needed the, they didn't need a check. They needed a card so they could put gas in their vehicle as they went from, from where we were to, to where they were going. And, and so I said that story. I, I needed to be generous. You know, I needed to be confident and not fearful. I needed to be... Uh, you know, I needed to not be greedy. I need to be cheerful. But, but what God wanted, God wanted to use that to supply their need. And so when God tells us, and God puts on your heart as a believer, hey, here's, I want you to give some time here. I want you to give some money here. I want you to use your gifts here. Listen, we got to trust that God's using what he's telling us to do to meet somebody's need. So when we give, it supplies people's needs. Secondly, the second half of that verse says, not only does God supply people's need uh, when we give, but, but it's, it says many thanks, uh, many thanks to God when we give. So, so, so 
if, if I give an offering or if I give my time to the kingdom or, or whatever, whatever part of my life I'm giving, when I give that to God, that's me saying, God, thank you for what you did. But, but it doesn't just stop there. Because when, when you and I, when we give, we're saying thank you to God, but then the people that get blessed because of that, what are they doing? They're saying thank you to God. And, and, and then the people that they minister to, they're saying thank you to God. We, uh, and I didn't share this earlier, but, but we were able to send a check to, uh, for flood relief to Louisiana for, I think it was a little over $15,000. And, and so some people's lives are going to be blessed because of the generosity of our people. Because some of you said, hey, I'm willing to give. And, and, and uh, you're giving out of thanksgiving to God, but they're going to say thank you to God. Because somebody gave a gift. So when we give, you know, it says thanks to God. When we give, it supplies the needs of people. Uh, Number three, or the third area, is our giving, when we give and we're generous, it just, it shows the genuineness of our faith. Because honestly, how can I say, God, I, I trust you with my soul for eternity, but I'm gonna hold on to my money. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the Ode of May thing. No, no. When we're willing to be generous with our money, when we're willing to be generous with our time and our life, when we're, when we're willing to, to lose our life for Christ's sake, it proves the genuineness of our faith. And then lastly, and this is, you see this kind of, I think it's at the end of verse 13, uh, it alludes to spreading the gospel. Look there at verse 13. Uh, it, it says, uh, they will glorify God because of your submission, or maybe the word obedience would be good, because of your obedience that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them, that is the church in Jerusalem, and for all others. I believe there's an allusion there. I believe uh, Paul's alluding to spreading the gospel because Jesus is all about using what we have to spread the gospel. In fact, he told an interesting story, uh, the parable of the, uh, the unrighteous steward or the dishonest manager. You may remember the story. Uh, the master hears the guy's not managing his books well, and he, he calls him in. He said, hey, man, we got a problem. I've been looking at the books. I feel like you're being dishonest. So what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to come before me, and, and you're going to give an account for everything you've done. And so the guy goes, oh, man, what am I going to do? Because he knew that he was guilty. And he says, I'm, and he thought, well, I'm going to lose my job. If I lose my job, I'm going to lose my house. I'm not going to have anywhere to live. And so he starts figuring, man, I, I, I'm too lazy and weak to dig. He says, I'm too ashamed to beg, so I need to figure something out. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. And so he goes to all these creditors, and he says, how much do you owe my boss? And the guy says, well, I owe him 100 measures of oil. He says, well, here, write 50 down, and you just pay for 50. And then he gives him a certificate. And then the next day he says, well, how much do you owe? He says, well, I owe your boss 100 measures of wheat or 100 bushels of wheat. He says, well, take this paper, write down 80, give him 80, and, and you're good to go. And, and so he goes through that, and all these guys, they get a bargain. And so they're thinking, hey, I like this guy. He took care of me. Well, then the manager calls him in, and he gives an account, and the manager, the manager starts looking, and he goes, hey, you were pretty smart. You were pretty wise. And he commends him for being shrewd. He says, you, you know, even though you were dishonest, and even though, listen, you did a wise thing to take care of yourself. And so Jesus tells this story. And then, this is in Luke 16. And then listen to what he says 
as he closes out that story, I think it's in verse 9. And he, or let me pick up in the middle of verse 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And then he says this. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails or when it is gone, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And so he tells them this story and says, listen, this guy figured out, hey, I'm... One day this is this deal I got is going to run out, so I need to be thinking about the future. And, and, and then Jesus says, no, I tell you that to say this. One day your life's going to run out. One day your money's going to be gone. You need to invest it. You need to spend it in a way that you're going to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And here's all he was saying is, you know, you've got this money and you've got this life and you've got these blessings. And one day that's going to run out. One day it's going to fail. The wise thing to do is to invest your money, your time, your life now so you'll be welcomed into heaven later. And so he says you ought to be generous now because you'll receive a reward and you'll receive a blessing later. Now, what would that look like? Well, I, I, that can look many ways. One, I think, we are, I believe as a believer, Jesus died for the church. We ought to give through the church. Uh, so I think you ought, to, you ought to be generous to the church. Uh, Jesus preached missions. We ought to be generous to missions. Jesus talked about caring for the poor. We, we ought to do all those things. Uh, in fact, there's one other thing that we do every year at, at Christmas called Operation Christmas Child, and it's just kind of a way to be generous. And so i got this little video I want you to see, and then we'll show it, and then I'll come back and, and wrap this thing up. Can we run that? I was born to a teenage mother. Uh, we were not privileged economically. Things were very tough. And so I remember when I was age 12, they were having this special Christmas event and they invited the children of my community. We were so excited as kids. Coming to the end of the program, they will announce that they have gifts for us. I remember the moment I opened my shoebox and sitting on top of my shoebox was a slinky. I just learned that it was called a slinky a short while back, but I guess you didn't need a manual to operate a slinky, you know, so... Uh, just to know that somebody loved God so much that they will want to pack a shoebox and send for us as children, it just caused me to develop more interest in this church. I made the decision to commit my life to Christ, got baptized. I became eventually the pastor for this church, and God just worked from there. That um, commitment that I made to God that day when I received my shoebox, I believe, is what led me to eventually being in the Senate. I saw this as an opportunity to impact change in my nation, not for myself, but for people like me who grew up with me, people who were otherwise hopeless, people who were otherwise not able to accomplish their dream and their mission in life. But I knew that God was able to find Devon in the bushes of St. David's, in a home of poverty. And God was able to take me from that home of poverty into the House of Parliament in my country. And if God was able to do that, how much more would he be able to do for me? And so the decision to me was very straightforward. 
I will resign from the parliament of my country for see the call of God. I can relate to the impact a simple shoebox can have on the life of a child because I am that child who received a shoebox whose life was transformed. It encourages me to reach out to many children by volunteering Operation Christmas Child. I want to hand a shoebox to a child. I am handing hope to that child. I am handing potential to that child. I am handing transformation to that child. My life was never the same after I received my shoebox. That shoebox packed within me something that I never knew was there. It released within me a potential that I never knew was there. A shoebox is one thing that all of us can do. And so I wish that people when they pack the shoebox will understand that indeed they are becoming heroes for many of us. They have brought hope to our life. Now, just think about this. This was about 20 years ago, 19 years ago. What if, what if it was your $40 that filled the box that was given to this guy who gave his life to Christ, who, who went into the ministry, who went into the government and is now in the ministry, and, and he's touching hundreds of lives. See, you, you reap what you sow. We reap what we sow. And if we invest generosity and if we give to the kingdom, then God's going to bless that one day. Now, you might be, you might be saying, okay, uh, you, you got me. I'm going to pack a box for Operation Christmas Child. Um, and, and I want you to do that. In fact, God probably uh, wants you to do that. I think that would be a good thing. But, but what God really wants is not that we give a box. God wants us to give him our hearts. God wants us to have a generous heart. Nobody's, none of us are going to get to the end of our life and say, man, I wish I would have bought more stuff. Nobody's going to get to the end of their life and go, man, I wish I would have kept more money. But there's probably not a believer in the room that when we get to the end of our life, we'll go, man, I wish I would have done more for the kingdom of God. We have a chance to do more for the kingdom of God. But we've got to start today. We've got to be generous with our life and generous with our heart.